0: Uh, welcome everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, my name is Michael Fraad. I am the Assistant Program Director for Drisha. Thrilled to have you all here with us, uh, as part of this class that we are going to be enjoying tonight on the Kapara of Yom Kippur. Uh, this is the fourth of a five-part series with Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Zuckier as part of Drisha's ELO programming. Rabbi, Zuckier, Rabbi Dr. Zuckier is one of our Drisha faculty members as well as a postdoctoral fellow in Jewish studies at McGill University. Uh, he's a recent graduate of Yale's PhD program in religious studies and of Yeshua University's Kolel El-Yom. Uh, this course has been focusing on the questions about how atonement comes about on Yom Kippur. Is it dependent on Korbanot? note? Does it still atone today? Does one need to Observe the day of Yom Kippur in any particular way in order to achieve the uh, in order to achieve atonement. What do various pieces of this process tell us about the nature of the day of Yom Kippur itself? Uh, So tonight's class is going to build on some of the material that we saw last week in terms of the relationship between Yom Kippur today and Yom Kippur in the time of the Temple, as well as uh, Yom Kippur. Uh, or the Yom Kippur korbanot, the sacrifices that were given uh, in ancient times that were part of Yom Kippur and how that interacts with uh, Yom Kippur today in a time where we are not able to offer those korbanot. So uh, Rabbi Zakir, whenever you're ready, I think we can get started. Okay, great.
1: Thank you very much. So uh, as as uh, Michael mentioned, today's year, uh builds on last week's, but we'll make sure to review uh, all the relevant points and to build from there. Um, so last week, we mostly spoke about a couple of different sugyas, a couple of different Talmudic discussions about what atonement was like in the time of the Temple, the time of the Besa Mikdash, when there were multiple different sacrifices brought on Yom Kippur uh, that were not, you know, that are, that are pretty unique to Yom Kippur and have, have an expiatory function or have an atoning function. Uh, and the question is, you know, if nowadays Yom Kippur atones and in the time of the Mikdash, these sacrifices atoned. What did the day of Yom Kippur do in the time of the Mikdash? So that's sort of question number one, and we saw a variety of views, and we're going to quickly mention some of them and and develop some others further. The related question, the question that builds on that, uh, is, okay, once we figure out what the role of Yom Kippur was in the time of the Besam Mikdash, I mean Yom Kippur as a day, as opposed to the Karbanos brought. Once we figure out the role of Yom Kippur as a day in the time of the Besam Mikdash, we can then sort of roll the the process forward and say, well, what about nowadays? What changed between the time of the Mikdash and now? Is it just that, you know, uh, there used to be a sacrificial option or a day option and the sacrificial option is no longer available, but the, the day option remains the same? Essentially, nothing, you know, the only thing that changed is we have access to fewer options, or is there some metaphysical change, so to speak, in the nature of Yom Kippur as an atoning, uh, function or in some way or other uh, that, uh, that, that's relevant for us today. And that, of course, you know, the more there is a change, the more interesting that is, and we have to probe why that would be the case and what the implications of that are. So that's the big picture of what we're doing. And again, last time we, we started getting into some of these issues. So if you look at today's handout, source number one, which I cut down a bit from last time, and it's the first, basically the first parrot of Mishnah in and for whatever reason, the first parak there talks about uh, talks about different atoning sacrifices, different communal atoning sacrifices that atone for to must make that that uh, atone for uh, in, uh, defiling the temple with ritual impurity. We're not going to get into the details of that, but one thing that came up again and again with the various sacrifices of Yom Kippur, both the sair hanasa bit the Chathas that's brought in the Azara, outside of the Heichol, and the Sayer Nasav Yifnim, the goat, the the Chathas goat that's brought inside the Heichol, inside the Kodesh, and the third uh, being the Sayer Lazazel, the Sayer Mishteleaf, the goat that's sent into the wilderness. All three of those on Yom Kippur atone. But the question is, how do they atone? Do they atone alone? That's a nice rhyme to it. Or... Uh, or are they are they functioning somehow with assistance from Yom Kippur? And we're not going to we're not going to read this inside. But if you glance at the sheets in source number one, you'll notice that on some of the atoning features, it says "Sire Tole" or V'yom That it sounds like the offering, the sacrificial offering, atones along with Yom Kippur. Yom Kippurim makes it sound like there's like a a combination. The sacrifice itself isn't sufficient. It needs some, whatever you want to call it, metaphysical power, expiatory force of the day of Yom Kippur in order to work. That's what it sounds like from the beginning of our Mishnah. Uh, What gets complicated is the end of the Mishnah talks about the Sira Lazaza, the Sira Mishteleya, the scapegoat. And there it doesn't say that the day of Yom Kippur helps at all. So it makes you wonder, uh, is it the same? And we saw last week, there's a variety of views of how to read the Mishnah. So some people say, uh, some people say when you say "fit, that the, the sa'ir and Yom Kippur are machaper. That doesn't mean that the two are working in tandem, that they're working together. Maybe it means that, it's, it doesn't mean and, it means or. It means that either the sa'ir, either the goat, it atones or the day of Yom Kippur atones. That was one option. Another option is that, uh, that uh, really, the, it, doesn't say, it doesn't say sa'ir nasabachutz, vith. Yom Kippur Mechaper. it says Sirena HaSuchutz, big Yom Kippur Mechaper, in the proper girsah." So, so not the, the goat and the day, it's the goat on the day, the goat that happens to be brought on the day of Yom Kippur. But the day of Yom Kippur itself is not providing any expiatory power on that view, it's just the day it happens to be brought. I mean, you can't bring these karbonos on other days, uh, presumably, but, uh, but the day itself is not doing anything, it's just, it's just a coincidence, it happens to be the day that it's brought. So that's another another option. We saw we looked at uh, the, the manuscript, the Kaufman manuscript last week, and it said neither Sayur Nasubakutz purim nor Sayra Nasbachutz Viyomakipurim. It actually just said Siran Nasubachutz purim Machapir, which you said is pretty ungrammatical and the sentence doesn't really work. But this leads us to be suspicious that maybe some alternate here so some alternate uh, textual versions were going around. And, uh, and that could explain it as well. So at the end of the day, we have three different views in reading that Mishnah as to what atones on Yom Kippur in the time of the temple. Either it's the sacrifices alone, and it doesn't say Viyom it says Viyom or it says uh, the, the sacrifices Viyom it, Kippur, it, and they really work together. You need both of them together in tandem. Alternatively, the third option is that it says Viy, but it vi doesn't mean and, it means or. So the third option is that either the sacrifices of Yom Kippur or the day itself a tone, and you have like a fail safe you have uh, you know you have two options that work and it's a good thing you have the fail safe because nowadays on that view we lack the sacrifices of Yom Kippur but we still have the day so it worked out very well it's good that the fail safe was in place from the beginning according to that view those are the three views uh, of reading that mishnah there and and we saw it got a little complicated um, if you look at uh, at the different Rishonim, the Rashi talks about it and a lot. of Rishonim talk about it, and maybe it's maybe this question actually is a dispute among the Tannaim. Whatever it is, however you resolve it, exactly those are the three basic views. The other thing we started getting into last week, but I think I want to jump back into this because it gets it's a it's a little complex, and, and I think we need to get back into the into the uh, some of the weeds here in order to better appreciate the larger picture. Is what is this question of how the saier zazel exactly how exactly it works and more precisely when it works? What is the scope of sins that are atoned for by the Sayur la zazel and particularly a scenario where let's say they send the scapegoat out into the wilderness maybe they throw it off a cliff they do that at three p.m. on Yom Kippur okay that's what, that's the time they do it and then let's say someone does a sin at four p.m. after the saier mishleih has already brought. So did you miss out on your atonement for this year? You need to wait till next year to get atoned for? Or, no, you actually somehow get atoned for retroactively by the sire, by this scapegoat, despite the fact that it was brought before you actually sinned. And this question is not a theoretical question. It's, I mean, uh, I don't know if it ever happened uh, per se like this. Exactly. But it's discussed by the Gemara. The Gemara raises this question. It's not, uh, it's not, uh, not a, a, new, a new question that, uh, that we came up with. It's in the Gemara. So source number two for those following on the source sheet. Um, so the Gemara says Umoda Rebbe B'Karis and just a reminder, this is Rebbe, the p- opinion of Rebbe that we Rebi, that we studied in great detail two weeks ago. That Yom Kippur, and, and or, uh, yeah, that the day of Yom Kippur atones fully with no need for tshuva. You don't need to do tshuva. All you need is the day of Yom Kippur, and you have all your all your sins wiped away. Um, and, uh, and so the question with, with maybe three exceptions for, uh, you know, things that are like a, a super, super sins of Hashem, but not your usual super sin categories. In any event, so the Gemara says, Remi must admit that his principle is not true about Karis the Yom, about sins done on Yom Kippur that violate the day of Yom Kippur. And uh, like, for example, eating on Yom Kippur, right? For those uh, who, are, who are supposed to be fasting or... Uh, doing malacha, doing work on Yom Kippur, right? So let's say eating Yom Kippur, it says, you get kares, you get excision for not, uh, for eating on Yom Kippur. You don't have, uh, you know, if you don't have a dispensation for health or other reasons. So um, how, the question is, according to Remy, how would you ever get this punishment of kares for eating on Yom Kippur? Because as soon as you eat, you're immediately atoned, because it's Yom Kippur. And on Yom Kippur, you immediately get atonement for all your sins, regardless of whether you do tshuva, according to Rebbe. So we're saying Rebbe, and that doesn't—that can't be, must be Rebbe has uh, an, an out. Rebbe has an exception to his rule. Usually you get atonement by the Day of Yom Kippur for everything, except for sins that violate Yom Kippur itself. Kari's diyoma, let's say, eating on Yom Kippur. If that weren't the case, There'd be no scenario where you ever got Christ in Yom Kippur, you'd always get atoned immediately. And now the Gemara raises all sorts of interesting scenarios, including one we talked about before, that, would, that are our uh, proposed cases why, of where you would get uh, excision, uh, even within Rebbe's approach. So it says, Maybe you sinned at night, and maybe Yom Kippur only atones during the daytime, not at night. Maybe that's an exception for Rebbe. Okay, fine, even if that's a good case. You're saying that you can never get kares for eating during the day on Yom Kippur, according to Rebbe, that feels, that feels wrong. It feels like if you eat on Yom Kippur, you should be getting kares, and you shouldn't have an automatic out, like Rebbe says. So what do we explain? <speaking in Hebrew> maybe you ate a bone and died immediately. <speaking in Hebrew> or maybe you, uh, you eat right before sundown. <speaking in Hebrew> There's no time. To get atonement you die immediately in the act while sinning or the day ends while you're still in the act there's no time for the day to come in and give you atonement. So Tosvos then comes in and says uh and says you know let's think about this scenario a little bit right? let's say you're we ha- we can have another answer to the Gemara's question if someone eats at 4 p.m. after the Seer Saleh was sent out at 3 p.m. maybe that's the case where Rebbe would admit usually Yom Kippur atones for everyone without tshuva but that's only if you bring the sacrifices of Yom Kippur and if you've already brought them, it's too late, you missed the, the Yom Kippur boat and maybe you wouldn't get atonement. So let's quickly read Kosovo's <speaking> inside. <agreement> and he, said, he makes the following suggestion. The Gemara can't, and it certainly doesn't, establish the case as what we just talked about, where you do your sin, you eat your, you eat your food on Yom Kippur after having brought the scapegoat. The Gemara doesn't raise that case. Why not? Um, uh, it, it wouldn't have worked to bring this case. Why not? Because the scapegoat atones all day. Even if you bring it at 3 o'clock, it continues atoning after it's brought until the end of the day of Yom Kippur. That's Tosav's starting point. Now they have a problem. But how can that be? We have a rule, and this is a pretty reasonable rule if you think about it, Sacrifice is only atoned for things that came before. That's the whole point. You do an avera, and you bring a carbon to fix it. Not you bring a carbon in advance and fix all your future sins. We don't we don't have a concept of that. Um, maybe that's Tarshish, but that's a different thing, um, right? There's no idea you can't like get a dispensation for violating uh, beforehand. There's no such thing. You can get atonement afterwards. But this this case, he's sinning after the sire, after the sacrifice. So how can you get atonement in that case? So he says, Fine, the Gemara discusses this principle earlier, even if it's the same day. You still can't get retroactive chuba. So how does he answer this? He gives three answers. We have a special pasuk. tells us, what does that mean, ki bayom yom How do we translate that?
2: Like on this day, or? On this
1: day, that's one translation. Um, and uh, maybe that's what Tosas means. Maybe Tosas just says, like it, the atonement is on this day, meaning on the whole day. And even if you brought the goat already, it, it works across the whole day. That's possible. What's the alternative translation of ki
0: bayom yom hazeh? I think we talked about this three weeks ago, so this is like a super bonus question.
1: So it might be what they call the instrumental bet, the instrumental base, right? The not on this day, but with this day, using this day, you'll get atonement using the day itself. Meaning maybe tos, was it, and this, the Gemara and the Gemara, the Sifra uh, that we saw also three weeks ago, makes this exact, exact Russia. by Yom Hazayim teaches us that nowadays, without sacrifice, the day still atones. So, so however, it's not exactly clear what Tostos' uh, translation of Plessis would be, but he, it sounds like he's saying the fact that Yom Kippur is mixed in with the atonement of the scapegoat, of the Shil, Shalea, that allows for the scapegoat to atone even after it's brought, to atone in advance, only because of the day, meaning the sire, the goat, is ready, sent, but you have Yom Kippur for the rest of the day. So since it's a uh, Yom Kippur atonement, it will continue to atone even after the, uh, the scapegoat is, is sent, after the offering is brought, so to speak. So what does this answer assume in terms of, you know, if we had to plot based on what we saw before? Um, does, does, do the sacrifices work independently of Yom Kippur or do they work along with Yom Kippur? What, what comes out of Tosfos, so this answer. Right? Why would it be, again, let, let's think this through. If this were a normal sacrifice, it could never atone prospectively. It could never atone on the future. That doesn't make sense. Somehow, the fact that this is brought on Yom Kippur by Yom Hazet, it's on this day, the atonement can work prospectively. Why would that be? What, what would that indicate about the nature of the Sirmish Saleach, of the scapegoat and its atonement? Right? Why, why, would it, why would this be the exception? Just because you have some Pasuk, What does that tell us? Why does it atone on the future? So I I think the only way to explain it is to say that uh, that it's integrated into the day, meaning the atonement doesn't come just from the goat itself, it comes from some combination between the scapegoat's atoning power and the day's atoning power. They integrate in some sense and how exactly we can think about a bit more we will. Um, They must integrate in some way which is what allows for for this uh, you know prospective atonement for atonement after the sacrifices because it's not the sacrifice alone that's doing the atoning it's the sacrifice integrated into the day as this uh, you know it's a package deal it's not just the seer that's that's atoning it's the seer on Yom Kippur together those two factors that are atoning so in that case you're not actually atoning on the future you're atoning on the past from the perspective of the day right the day is still ongoing and continues to atone, I think that's answer number one in Tosvo. So that in- implies that the day and the sacrifices are working together. Inamiya, second answer. Another reason why he doesn't, why we can't, the Gemara doesn't give this answer of the uh, sitting at four o'clock after the Sir Mishteleach is brought is because, you know what, the, the truth is the Sir Mishteleach is I- irrelevant. It's ineffective. After it's brought, but there's some something else. There's an independent factor called the day of Yom kippur that atones. Not not you know not this not what he said before. Not answer number one that the day is integrated with the goat and they atone together. No, the day atones independently, but it doesn't atone fully. It's only mechaper ktsas, only partially atones, but it atones enough. To, to prevent you from getting kares. You don't get the punishment of excision, so that wouldn't work for our Suddhiyah. And then he gives a third answer, skipping a few lines, V'h Yom Kippur below, or maybe the day Kipper Yom Kippur atones fully in the time of the Beis HaMikdash, so you brought your Sari great, you got full atonement, good, but you know what? You have in your back pocket, you have this backup, right, this redundant system that gives you full atonement, twice, every Yom Kippur, once, the Shemirah, a second time through the day, and uh, and that's why it wouldn't be a good example in our Gemara. So all three of Tosos answers seem to imply that the day has at least some role in atoning in the time of the Temple. Yes. So uh, that's that's one that's one perspective, that's one angle, and and the role that the day has varies here a little bit, right? There's three possible roles that the day may have. It may have it may function along with the sacrifices, like working in tandem. It might work independently and completely, right? It might do the full the full job by itself, or it might work independently but only partially, right? It might be only half effective, mechaperkhas, uh, in the time of the temple on its own, whereas the sayer, the, the scapegoat, is doing the most, the full atonement at the time. So we'll pause here for any questions. But that's Tos- Tos's view, and uh, it's an important view. All all of the All of the, uh, you know, all of three of these opinions have some role for the Devium Kippur in the time of the temple. We'll see not everyone agrees to that.
2: Questions, thoughts? So I was thinking about, this is a little off track and feel free to like disregard this, but we do sort of, we do reward behavior in the future. Like you can't do a sacrifice to atone for something in the future, but we have all of these, you know, Oh, like things that will be rewarded in Olam haba and i was just curious if you had thought about any connection there about like things the rabbis think like good deeds can be a f- future rewarded but you can't like atone in the future for the future
1: what, what do you, can you just give an example just so i have more clarity uh, uh something that's rewarded in the future meaning you do a yeah ministry, like
2: you get a like whatever. like like the thing you know like like these things that you may be rewarded for in this world you would also be rewarded for in the world to come
1: right Right. And, and I guess you could say the same about sin, right? You sin now and you get punished later. So I think the difference is that um, uh, sacrifices are, don't function the same way as, as uh, standard reward and punishment, right? Re- standard reward and punishment, you do something good, you get rewarded later. You do something bad, you get punished later. The point of a sacrifice is not, it's a good deed, it's like a nice mitzvah that you did. The point of a sacrifice, it's backwards looking by definition, right? Uh, not not all sacrifices, but the atoning sacrifices, the chathas and asham. So you read, you read parik dal parik, hey, it says, if you do an avera, you bring a karbon, a or an asham to atone for the avera, depending on the details of the case, if it qualifies. But by definition, that's backwards looking, right? The karbon doesn't work on the future, right? karana's on, only work on, on the past. Now, at least the chath- You can talk about the olah, sort of maybe that gives you like mitzvah points, but that wouldn't resolve a sin on the future. Uh, So I think there's just a fundamental difference between, you know, uh, doing mitzvahs and getting rewarded for them versus bringing sacrifices and atoning and and fixing a previous harm. The mashal, the the parable we can use is, you know, when you violate the Torah, it's in a sense an affront to God, right? We have this covenant, we have these list of laws, things that we're, not, that we're not supposed to do, things we are supposed to do, things we're not supposed to do, if you violate them, that's an affront to God. That's breaking the relationship and you need to make up for it. So you make up for it with sacrifices, right? That's at least classically, that's the way of doing it. And some sacrifices play more of, uh, uh, I don't know if you want to call it, uh, quieting God's anger, um, like after the Mabul, right? Uh, after the Mabul, uh, you know, sort of appeasing uh, divine anger over what had been done previously. Uh, sometimes it's more forward-looking, it's like a gift to build a relationship. Whatever it is, they're all, the, you know, the ones that involve sin are certainly looking backwards and trying to fix, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the way the relationship was ruined. And um, I guess this is very relevant seasonally, which of course makes sense given, you know, the reason this topic's being taught now. It was the same thing for tshuva, right? Chuba fundamentally is backwards looking. The point is you did something wrong. You ruined the relationship either with God or with people. With people, there's uh, an added you know, there's sort of three parties. It gets a little more complicated, but uh, you 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 damage the relationship, and now you need to fix it. But you can't do tshuva on sins you haven't done yet, right? In fact, I think this is we we saw this in the previous class. If you even if you don't even do the tshuva now, you say you'll do the tshuva later. I'll sin now and do the tshuva later. We don't let you do tshuva, right? So you can't you can't like uh, preload your tshuva. That doesn't work. Same way, you can't preload a sacrifice. The point of the sacrifice, it has to be. Correcting some some mistake done previously. Does that uh, respond to the question? Yeah. Okay. Good. Any any other questions, thoughts, ideas? Okay. So let's move let's move forward. Um, we're going to skip sources four and five for now. Maybe we'll come back if we have extra time. But the best contrast to Tosvos is the Rambam. Tosvos, remember had given three different answers as to how the day of Yom Kippur played an expiatory role in the time of the Mikdash. Either it worked with the sacrifice, or it worked independently fully, or it worked independently partly. And uh, the Rambam, the Rambam uh, seems to go in a different direction. First of all, Rambam on the Mishnah and Shavuos that we saw last week seems to very clearly have a girsa of Sirena Sabachutz B'Yom hakippurim that it's not, there's no factor of Yom Kippur in the atonement, it's, just that—that's the day you happen to bring the carbon, the carbon that's brought on Yom Kippur, not the carbon that's brought plus Yom Kippur. So that's number one. Number two, here in source number six, the Rambam talks about the categories of chuva. Sorry, the categories of kapara, I should say, right? And we're going to see the Rambam's going to say that chuva uh, is always relevant, but there's a major difference. There's a historical difference between a t- how atonement is achieved in temple times versus how atonement is achieved nowadays, with the big difference being, uh, um, you know, at least one of the differences being whether the, you know, to what extent the day of Yom Kippur uh, plays a role, uh, as opposed to the sacrifices. And uh, he also, there's also, another difference will be uh, the categories of suffering and death, which the Ramam doesn't really emphasize here, um, emphasize in terms of the time of the temple, um, whereas they do apply nowadays. But fine, let's jump into the source. Uh, source number six, and we'll start about halfway through. So the you know the second paragraph here. the scapegoat, the the goat that sent out. the fishhu kapara, I'll call Yisrael, the tones of all Jewish people. Therefore, the high priest atone, uh, 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 recites vidui uh, confession on it. Al alashim kol Yisrael, using the language of the whole Jewish people. Shenemar is Israel, he confesses for the sins of the whole Jewish people. Fine. The scapegoat is the super-mechafer, right? It atones for everything, intentional or unintentional, major or minor, uh, whether you knew you were sinning or not. In all, in all cases, this, year, this, the, this uh, scapegoat atones for it. That's a quote from the Gemara. Rambam throws in here, what's a dispute? He rules like the opinion that v'ruh she'as you need tshuva. Tshuva is like a, a condition, a basic condition, a prerequisite for all this to work. But what's the big mechafer? What's the great atoning agent that does all the work? It's the, the scapegoat. It's the seer. He says, you don't do tshuva, then you're in trouble. You don't do tshuva, it only the scapegoat only atones for the minor sins, then you're left with all your major sins. He gives definitions as to what's a big sin, what's a small skin, sin. Uh, moving to the next paragraph, right? So that's in the time of the temple. In the time of the temple, what do you have for what are the atoning agents in the time of the temple? Either one or two. What are they?
2: Sacrifices.
1: Sacrifices, and particularly, for our purposes, the Siyar the scapegoat, but yeah, certainly other sacrifices too. asham, right? That's one factor. What's the other factor, potentially? The other factor is, yeah, Zoe?
2: I Like the Day of Yom Kippur ceremony is that? Well, does he say that? He doesn't uh,
1: really say that. Yeah. What he says is tshuva, right? Chuva is, is a factor as well, although it's not clear if it's doing some of the atonement work or is uh, is chuva simply uh, is chuva simply um, uh, like a condition? Like without tshuva, you can't possibly get atonement. Because what would it mean for you to not regret what you're doing and get atonement for it? But maybe it's not actually doing the work. Let's move. Nowadays. And the Ram says, Bismana Right? This makes a lot of sense. It says nowadays, right? Think about it. There's two factors of atonement in time of the temple sacrifices and, 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 and repentance and chuva. Nowadays, we don't have the sacrifices. So what are we left with? All there is is chuva, but then it's gonna get more complicated. But at least the starting point is all that's left is chuva as an atoning agent, a chubamcha al averos. Not only that, it sounds like, and we're gonna talk about this more in a bit, Shuba steps up and fills in for all for all uh, atonement, right? It's, it fills in for the seems tale fully, it atones for everything. And then he says, even if you're like, you know, you violated the Torah your whole life, and only at the end of your life you come back, it works. I feel etc. And then he says, And he says there's this other new category. Called Atzmosh the Day of Yom Kippur itself, which atones for those who do tshuva. So the Rambam in the future, in the next halacha, talks about the other categories, the suffering and death as atoning categories as well. But what, what's very clear from what we read is that the Day of Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Yom Kippur exists as an atoning agent, but only sounds like only nowadays. In the time of the temple, it wasn't there, right? It doesn't appear in halacha Bays. It only appears in halacha gimel because it wasn't true. It didn't. It didn't exist as an atoning agent in the time of the temple, for good reason, you didn't need the day because you had the sacrifices, you had the Siyar right? which whether or not it's a sacrifice is a whole question, but it, whatever, it's like a sacrifice if it's not a sacrifice, right? So nowadays we have this new category, the Day of Yom Kippur, but it didn't, it didn't exist beforehand at all. And that's why on the Mishnah, the Ramam does, doesn't have a girsa of the Yom HaKippur. the Day of Yom Kippur does not participate at all in the atoning process, It's sacrifices, plus shuva, that's all you need. So that's the Rambam, and we'll see the Rambam is not alone with this idea that the atoning effect of Yom Kippur is a new thing. In fact, the Ritva, uh, one of the another uh, a classic, reshown here in source number seven, uh, says similarly. He says he's in the in the, in the weeds in, in, in the sugya we saw before. He says i we see from here the underline the underline piece here, the the Rebbe Shavin. In Rebbe's opinion that we discussed before, right, that you get full atonement without shuvah for all sins, even major sins, like kares and mises, things you get the death penalty for, things you get excision for, it atones for all that. ella im is So Rebbe's opinion in the time of the temple does not involve the day itself. It, it, it requires the sacrifices. And it sounds like maybe they're working together, but certainly... Uh, the day as an independent atoning agent did not exist in the time of the temple. You needed the sacrifices, even though Rebbe's position it didn't necessarily sound like that. He says, Yom Kippur atones with or without the sacrifices. Right? Oh, sorry, uh, Yom Kippur atones with or without atonement, with or without uh, uh, repentance, rather. Right? So what he says is, the day itself does it. Uh, the ritva comes in and says, you also need the sacrifices. Skip to the next underlying piece. Now, he's Rabbi Ishmael's opinion that there's four categories of atonement Shuva, Yom Kippur, suffering and death. That opinion is talking about nowadays. Nowadays, Yom Kippur atones independently, but in the time of the of the temple, it did not. You needed sacrifice in order for Yom Kippur to atone. So according to both the Ritva and the Rambam, there is a major shift in terms of what the day of Yom Kippur can do. In the time of the temple, Yom Kippur could not atone independently. According to the Rambam, it sounds like it did nothing. Only the Karbanos did all the work. According to the Ritva, there was some partnership between the day and the sacrifices, but both of them would agree that the day itself could not independently atone in the time of the temple, but nowadays it can. So on that view, you have to say there was some sort of, you know, metaphysical shift. The nature of atonement and the nature of the day of Yom Kippur uh, somehow shifted so that that Yom Kippur, the day itself, yields atonement now, whereas it did not independently yield atonement in the past. So I think that's pretty cool, right? Usually we're not used to, uh, you know, uh, usually like uh, historians say, oh, you know, this changed the Judaism, this has always been the same. We always uh, have the same halachos. And here we have, we have Rishonim saying uh, very explicitly that the by the, the Ramah, I'm saying, hey, there's a historical shift here on a metaphysical level, right? The nature of atonement of Yom Kippur like came out, of, exists now, and did not exist uh, independently during the time of the temple. That's pretty cool. So what we need to figure out now is why. Why would it be that there was this change? And how, how exactly does it work? And why does it work? So um, I, I'm happy to take, uh, yeah, happy to take some thoughts and ideas here or questions or suggestions um uh, everyone's welcome to, to throw those out and i'm also going to reshare the file because apparently it's not working for some people so hopefully we'll try it a different way and see what happens although it seems to not be letting me send files so maybe i'll send it to michael maybe i'll send it you have the file michael
0: uh it's, yeah I can't,
1: I can't share it in the uh in the box.
0: Uh, if, if you resend it to me, I'll see what I can do about sending it out and, and seeing if I can.
1: Okay. Great. Like so we'll do, while, while we'll do, we're doing that, uh, um, any, any suggestions? Why would it be that the day of, of Yom Kippur would all of a sudden take on a new expiatory role? Now, all of a sudden, it atones where it didn't used to atone previously. I mean, I think part of the, part of the answer is clear. Which is necessity, right? You don't have a temple, so you need to have something. But what's the nature of that shift? How exactly does it work? Um, so very happy to take some suggestions on that. What are people thinking? I could put people on the spot. That wouldn't be that would be a bit a bit much. But uh, yeah, Zoe, what do you think?
2: I this remind me of grad school, so I was jumping first. Um, like I guess there's a like, did the day always have this power question, right? That's coming up of like back when we had, back when you could actually do the ceremony, like, I guess, yeah, that's what I'm sort of hung up on right now. It's just like, what is the transference of, like, the day of Yom Kippur from the time of the temple until then when you can't do these things? And like, you said it was out of necessity, but there's also just a, like, what, what, um, what role did this play, did this, did this day play maybe even with the temple? Like, what all, was, were all of the ceremonies as described necessary in order to obtain atonement in the time of the temple? Because if not, then, like, how can we get away with it now, as it were?
1: Right, exactly. So you have something weird. You have something a bit funny, with Zoe, that you're pointing to. Thank you. Um, which is, if the system, right, I mean, like, basic facts. Nowadays, there's no sacrifice. Then there were sacrifices. And everyone thinks that there is atonement now, and there was atonement then. So either something changed or something was redundant, right? You can't have, you, can't have, you know, in, like, a perfect world, the system never would change and nothing would ever be redundant, right? It's a perfectly efficient system. That can't be the case here, given the basic input, you know, the facts that we're inputting, um, right? That the system is different than than now, and yet we get atonement either way. So, so it's not a fully efficient system. So where, what's, what's the redundancy what's the, or what's the change? Um, so, I, right, I think that, that's a helpful way of thinking about it. And I think we saw when we studied the Mishnah, there's a couple of views. One view is that there's this massive redundancy in the time of the temple. But you have either sacrificial atonement or the day atoning. Both of those exist at the same time. And uh, nowadays, we just lost one of the options, but the other option is still fully in place. Nothing changed, really. There's just this pragmatic uh, inability to do sacrifice, but the, the nature of the atonement of Yom Kippur didn't change at all. Right? So that that view is, uh, you know, it, it has the upside of not assuming change, assuming that's a good thing. And then as the downside of... Uh, of Redundancy, like why would God say? You know, it foretold. You know, uh, you know, uh, the system is set up assuming that there would be a destruction of the temple or something like that. That's one approach. The other approach is to go the opposite extreme and say, uh, and say, no, it totally changed. Right? There was, there used to be the day did nothing, and now the day does everything. Why? Because basically, because of necessity, we lost the sacrifice, and we're not going to have no atonement. So the day has to step in. Right. So, and and how does the day step in? There's different ways of thinking about that. Or you might say that the day steps in totally, absolutely, and whatever whatever Yom Kippur through the sacrifices used to do, now it accomplishes through the day itself. There's actually a formulation like that. I think it's in the Tosfos Rush, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I don't have the line right now. One of the Rishonim says that whatever the whatever um, it says whatever Yom Kippur here. Oh, that's actually the next source. Not, that's that's why I put it there. Source number eight. Let's take a look at this. Say for near to commentary near Shalmi uh, and but he says he just sort of throws in in passing, um, within the opinion of the bear, whatever the scapegoat used to atone in the past. Today, the day of Yom Kippur atones. So basically, the day just is a total stand-in for the sacrifices. That sounds pretty reasonable. In fact, if, if uh, those of us who remember uh, from the first year, the Sifra says, well, I can understand from the Torah that you get atonement through sacrifice on Yom Kippur. How do I know you also get atonement from the day? It says, kibay Yom Hazeh, through this day, you atone. And that's how we know you get atonement through the day as well. Um, it's not clear how to read that, 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 uh, that uh, Sifra, that Medrash. Right? You might read that Medrash as saying, all along, both of these options were in place, or you might read the measures as saying, in the time of the temple there were sacrifices, you got it through that. Nowadays, the, the nature of the day of Yom Kippur shifts to stand in for the sacrifices, right, and then we have a drusha to understand that in the pasuk, maybe that's only talking about now. So that would be an interesting way of reading that Sifra, and that's what this uh, sefer nir seems to be asserting, or going in that direction, right, that Whatever the, the, the sacrifices used to do, now the day accomplishes. And why would that, like, what, what's the mechanism for that? I think there's a couple different ways of thinking about this. Anyone have thoughts as to, uh, in terms of what the mechanism is? Like, how does that work? How can you just, like, you know, slap the day on it and you get atonement or whatever, um, right? How does, that, how does that work? It's not the same as the sacrifices, right? Any suggestions on that? Or should we look at one of the sources? Or what, what do people want? Okay, we'll look at some sources. So the, the Kavod Chachamim, another commentary near Yerushalmi, he makes an interesting point. He says, um, he talks about, he's trying to explain, we saw this a bit before, the idea that the night of Yom Kippur might not atone. He's trying to explain why that would be. Right? Why would it be that the daytime of Yom Kippur atones nowadays, but not the nighttime? Why would there be a difference? He says the Efshar, this is a, a bit into the underlying part, to who my th- my time, she'al kol panim, He says, how does the atonement of the day of Yom Kippur work? It works. It works. Well, he first says it works only in times when you could have brought the scapegoat, right? So if it's daytime hours, when it's, uh, you know, you're eligible to bring the scapegoat, then Yom Kippur atones. If it's nighttime hours, when you can't bring the scapegoat, Yom Kippur will not atone. But what's the logic for that position? The, what, what is he basically assuming for this to make sense? Right? Why, why would Yom Kippur only atone at times that one theoretically could bring the scapegoat? I think the only way to understand it is that he views Yom Kippur nowadays, it's not like the day itself atones, like somehow the day, quad day. It's the day, the day is a virtual Sir Mishnah Yom Kippur nowadays, it's not just the day of Yom Kippur. We add it in, we sort of have this virtual scapegoat that, that, that happens all day, we sort of, uh, you know, uh, Yom Kippur nowadays is is a series of, uh, is just one long period of as if we're bringing the Sir at every moment or something like that. Um, and for that reason, it atones. It atones not as the day, but it atones as a pseudo or as a virtual Sir Right? We right? We know all about virtual things. We're on a, we're in a virtual room right now. So, right, why can't Yom Kippur be a virtual a virtual scapegoat, and that's what it is, and that's how it works. That's one way of understanding it. The, another way of understanding is to say, no, it's not that the day is a virtual scapegoat, it's just that the day's nature takes on, on this expiatory function. It's not like it's reliving the sacrifice, it's working totally independent of Siyur Mishdelech. Someone who takes that second view, that it actually works differently, it's not like, it's not like a pseudo, it's not like a, a, you know, a virtual sacrifice on Yom Kippur. It's the Yom Kippur itself that functions to atone. One person who makes that point is uh, the Rub, Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik in his *Alachuva*. I think I have it here, both in Hebrew and in English. He has a very interesting idea. He wants to say that the nature of atonement through Yom Kippur as a day and the nature of, Yom, of atonement through the Sirmr Torah* are actually totally different from one another. So he says, he has a, a reading in the Rambam to, to make this point, um, he basically says there's two different types of tshuva that we can be talking about. We can be talking about individual repentance individual uh, repentance, and individual atonement, or we can be talking about collective national atonement, right? And uh, this, this like, assumes a certain idea of like uh, national corporate identity, that countries, a nation can be atoned for their sin. It's assuming that. And what, uh, what Rabbi Salvation here is asserting is that uh, is that there's a, there's two different types of atonement that one can get. Atonement for every individual in, in Israel, that's one one type of national atonement. And then there's another type, which is the nation itself as a body being atoned, as, a, as an independent corporate body uh, being atoned. So that, to make that distinction, and then he says, fascinatingly, um, he says uh, that... Get the right line. Yom Kippur is this manchuval tshuva la Yaqhi Ul Yom Kippur is the time of atonement for everyone. Um, and and then he says, uh, and, and Yom Kippur does both of these things. It both atones for each individual and it gives this national corporate atonement. He says, Ha'imhuadin, binogelika Zazel. Is the same true about the scapegoat? Does the scapegoat also have both of these expiatory functions? Ha chuval Meshav open low? absolutely not. The scapegoat does not have both of these uh, atoning functions. Apart from the Rub's novel idea, the scapegoat does not atone for individuals. It only atones for the corporate body of Israel. But it does not help any individual atone for their sins on an individual level. It only helps on a corporate level. Now this is really crazy in the following way. Think about what this means from a historical progression point of view, right? In the time of the temple, there what was there? And within the, this is within the Rambam's view, right? So within the Rambam, in the time of the temple, what did we have? We had the Sirish That's the main atonement. The main atonement is the scapegoat, which works on a national level. It actually doesn't work for individuals. So it was sort of hard. There was no. There was basically no free lunches in the time of the temple. There's no. Like you had to earn your kapara. You had to you have to bring whatever sacrifice and do whatever you, you know, whatever you have to do. You couldn't just rely on uh, and do a lot of chuba. You couldn't just rely on the scapegoat for your own chuba. That only works for national corporate chuba. Nowadays, we don't have the search a Instead, we have Yom Kippur. According to the Rev, Yom Kippur atones more broadly than the Sirius Delayah. Yom Kippur now atones for every individual. So think about that for a second, right? It's not that like the time of the temple, we have the sire. That doesn't exist anymore. so Yom Kippur stands in. Stands in, you know, as if it's a pseudo-sacrifice, stands in on its own as a day. No, that's not, it doesn't stand in at all, according to the It, it actually overtakes the Syria Yom Kippur is stronger than this than the scapegoat. So what happens? The temple's destroyed, we lose our national corporate atonement. What's the what happens? We get this bonus, this new thing called the Yom Kippur that's actually stronger. The it both atones for uh, on a corporate national level and it atones for every individual. It's like a free pass to, to uh, atonement. Now, I, I don't know if this is shot in the Rambam. The Rambam seems very, very focused on Chuba, and here the Rav seems very focused on the Davyam Kippur against the Rambam. But within at least the Rav's reading of the Rambam, what happens with the destruction of the temple is not just a stand in, not just a replacement, it's really a shift in the nature of atonement overall, essentially. I think the, way, the best way to explain this, God looked at the world and said, you know, I'm dest- I just destroyed my temple the second time. The people are not, not so good at keeping the Torah. They can't really keep this together. I make it easier. I need to find an easier path to atonement in order for this to work. Otherwise, you know, this has already failed twice. It's not, not going to end well. So we need to have a sort of an easier path to atonement, an easier path to atonement through the Deviom Kippur. And not the Devium Kippur replicating what the sacrifice did before, but the Devium Kippur giving this added free pass. If you remember a couple weeks ago we spoke about atonement through uh, atonement that is earned, let's say by tshuva, the Me'iri view, versus atonement that is given by the grace of God, by a chesed Elyon. We saw in Rashim Paul Hirsch, I think it's also in Minhashina. Right? Is atonement through the grace of God or is atonement earned? And I think what the Rav have to say here within the Ramam is that in the time of the temple, atonement was was earned on an individual level. You couldn't get individual atonement through the Sirmish or through any other means. You had to earn it yourself through Tshuva, through whatever other means. Nowadays, the day of Yom Kippur atones on a personal level, regardless of whether one did Tshuva or not. That is atonement by grace. That's atonement that's not earned, that's not deserved. That God just grants us, maybe because we wouldn't be able to withstand uh, 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 no, the world and, and, and the Torah otherwise. I think this is really a, a very radical idea that, you know, again, we had our, our few options here, right? One option is, you had Yom Kippur did the same thing then it did now. It was just redundant then, and now it's actually very necessary. Or, Yom Kippur fills in for the sire. Right? It used to be the goat would atone, and now Yom Kippur steps in and does that. According to the Rav, no. It actually is stronger. We actually have an upgrade to our atonement to overtake the atonement in the time of the temple, presumably because there, are you know, just a reassessment of what sort of atonement we need. We can no longer rely on atonement. That's for me to understand that what replaces, what replaces the Srimishtaliach, uh, what replaces the scapegoat, fascinatingly in the Rambam, surprisingly, right? According to most people, what replaces the scapegoat the day of Yom Kippur? But for the Rambam, I don't think that's really true. What does the Ramam say? The Ramam says, the scapegoat in the time of the Temple atones for everything. Nowadays, what atones for everything? What does the Ramam say? Right, let's take a peek t'shubha. back. Shubha. yes. Take a peek back at source number six, right? It says, in the time of the Temple, the scapegoat would atone for everything. Nowadays, nowadays, uh, repentance atones for everything. So I think the way, the way one can read it, is sort of the opposite of the rub, is that according to the Rambam, actually, in the time of the temple, the scapegoat was an easy out. Was, was a, it was easier, so you can just get your automatic atonement for everything just by the sacrifice being brought. Nowadays, the main thing, true, the Debian Kimper does do some things, but it's not, it's not the ultimate atoning factor anymore. Now instead of this, you know, in the time of the temple, the seer mistelayah was the main atoning factor and and chuba was secondary. Nowadays there's no more Sayer, Chuba moves out to first place, and Yom Kippur is now the secondary atoning factor. So you if you read the Rahman that way, which I think is very compelling, it actually comes out that the opposite shift happens, the opposite of what the Rub said. That in the time of the temple, the primary atoning agent was automatic, was by the grace of God, was the seer mishtalayah. Nowadays. We don't have that, uh, that uh, privilege of just relying on a Sirmish app We have to earn our chuva. The main thing is earn our kapara. The main thing is chuva, And without chuva, you, you know, you don't you get too far at all. It's not like the Sirmish app would give you stuff for free uh, and give you a lot if you just had chuva. No. Nowadays, Yom Kippur plays some role, but it's a relatively minor role. The main role is through chuva. Chuva meaning earning your atonement. That's the way uh, atonement works nowadays. I thought really two opposite ways of reading the Rambam, one based on the Rav, one based on, I think, the simpler meaning of the Rambam, Uh, and both of those portend a real shift when the temple is destroyed. Either we shift from earned atonement to atonement by grace, or vice versa, we shift from atonement by grace to earned atonement. Um, But it seems seems more of a rupture in terms of the nature of the metaphysics of atonement with the destruction of the temple. Any thoughts, comments, ideas, uh, theological objections, or or whatnot uh, to uh, to what we've seen.
2: I have a question. It might be like jumping a few steps, though.
1: Sure, go for it.
2: Um, Just in general, I forgot whose opinion it was about the the fact that now there's like this radical change in the day of Yom Kippur. So then, is that to say that that's permanent? Like, if we were to go, like, if the temple were to be rebuilt, that the day would still take prominence, because it seems like. A, I mean there's so much that isn't known about like the future but it seems like this like drastic change wouldn't necessarily be kept of like the day taking such prominence
1: that's a very interesting question um so i think um, it may depend a little bit on the view here right if you take it on the views that essentially it's you know yom kippur the day of yom kippur takes over for the sacrifices due to necessity you don't have the sacrifice you need something So the day does it without the sacrifice on that view. Probably once you rebuild the temple and have the sacrifices, assuming that all happens, um, then you'd then you'd go with the sacrifices. The day, you know, the day isn't necessary anymore. The only reason for the day was a stand in. It's like a backup. And uh, if you don't need the backup, you go with the original thing. Whereas what we were just seeing these two views in the Rambam, that there was some like metaphysical change in the nature of atonement in the world, either, you know, moving in one direction or the other. Um, then it's really an open question, right? You rebuild the temple. Does that mean that people are now fully deserving? Uh, you know, people are now in a better uh, in a better uh, position and can, can afford to always earn their atonement, even though now they didn't. Or is that now the situation where there should be extra privileges? Probably, if you think that uh, the seir is like an extra privilege, if you rebuild the temple, you probably would get the privilege back. Um, but maybe maybe the day of Yom Kippur would still have its role. I think it's it's pretty open within the, within the Rambam's view that there's like a deeper metaphysical change, and the Ritva too. It's pretty open as to what the future is. I don't I don't know if there's a clear answer. Whereas on the views that that we saw, like the uh, you know the commentaries on the Urshami, that whatever the, the the sacrifices used to do now the day does, and it only the the sac the, the day yom keeper only works during the daytime because it's like a it's like a virtual carbon. On those views, it really seems like once you have the real thing back, you'd you'd go to it. But actually, what your question also, th- this question points to an interesting discussion in the Yerushalmi. We're not going to read it inside for reasons of time, but source 15 has this really cool discussion about, it basically the Yerushalmi seems to assume, and, and it's interesting that some of the Yerushalmi say, like this Yerushalmi, some of them reject the Yerushalmi because they don't paskin like it. The Yerushalmi seems to assume that in the time of the Temple, there was an option of either getting atonement through the scapegoat, through the Syriah Shalayach, or through the Day of Yom Kippur. The seems to just take that for granted, and then we have, as we saw, all this discussion about it in the Roshanah, but the Urshalmi has a clear view that either one can work, but it's a little tricky. So uh, it sounds like, in the Arshalmi, it sounds like it says, in the time of the Temple, um, maybe the day of Yom Kippur would not atone unless they didn't end up bringing the sacrifice. So it's really like a backstop, right? If you bring the, the Sir Mishtoleah, then the Sir atones. If, for whatever reason, you know, you, I don't know, there's a goat shortage or, you know, you, uh, the goat gets lost or whatever it is. You don't end up bringing it. Then lucky for you, what the last moment of Yom Kippur on this view, um, boom, Yom Kippur atones for all the sins instead of the scapegoat. Um, and, and then there's a, there's a whole discussion as to, well, uh, according, there's a, another view that Yom Kippur atones, not just at the end of the day, but it atones at every moment at every possible moment, it atones. It has that expiatory power at every moment. So then they said, what um, what uh, what about a scenario where uh, yeah, what about a scenario where Yom Kippur is where, where you don't know in advance whether you're going to bring the goat or not, right? Let's say they're planning on bringing the goat, but in the end they don't bring the goat. So does Yom Kippur atone, you know, like earlier in the day or not, right? Meaning, let's say you originally you were planning on bringing your scapegoat at 3 p.m., and if that had gone according to plan, Yom Kippur is just a backstop; it would not have atoned. At the end you lost your goat, and it doesn't, you don't end up bringing it. Um, so Yom Kippur atones. But does Yom Kippur atone only, like, after you miss the boat, at the end of the day? Or does Yom Kippur atone already in the morning? So that sort of depends on whether God knows the future or not, right? The, the, the Yishami actually has this really cool line. The Anakadosh Baruch Hu Does God not know the future? Bi'chav miyad. What do you mean? If, 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 in fact, in the future, you're not going to end up bringing the sacrifice, the the Zazel, the then the, uh, the atonement of Yom Kippur should already be in place in the morning because God knows the future. So I thought that was really cool. Usually the Gemara doesn't explicitly talk about these uh, very philosophical prospects of, of whether, you know, propositions of whether God knows the future or not, but it's explicit in the Yom Kippur in, in 15. In any event, I think Talia, that relates to your point, right? This idea of like, what would it look like to have both going on? Yom seems okay with it. Yom Kippur seems happy to say you have both the, the God atoning and Yom Kippur atoning, and those are sort of alternate options and maybe you know, maybe one's the backstop for the other, but they can both be in place. Any other questions or comments or thoughts on the sugya? Last call. All right, so I think, I think we, uh, we have a very interesting sugya here. I think the question of, you know, is historical development to the nature of Yom Kippur as an atoning day, both on a technical level, I mean, obviously there's no sacrifices anymore, right? But on a deeper level, does something really change? Does Yom Kippur stand in for the sacrifices? Does Yom Kippur take on a new nature? Does the nature of atonement itself change over time? All of these things come up in these suggyos. I think it's very powerful and important idea. Uh, next week, we'll sort of draw together the different parts of, of this series and bring it to a close, just to get ready for Yom Kippur so that we know uh, what we're getting ourselves into. Everyone should have a a wonderful evening, and uh, I think Michael has some uh, more announcements.
0: Uh, Yes, thank you so much, Rabbi Zakir. I just wanted to thank everyone for being here, and also to note that uh, for those of you who have enjoyed being here, first of all, we have our final meeting next week, and we would hope to see you all back here. Uh, But second of all, that uh, Drisha just announced its lineup of classes for the rest of 2020. We have 14 new classes that are being offered after the Hagim between October and December. uh, And you can find information on all of those at parisha.org slash classes. Uh, We've got a really phenomenal lineup, including a special focus with a number of cheerings that are focused on topics related to human dignity. Uh, Rabbi Zakir will be teaching alongside uh, many of our other faculty members and we would encourage folks to check that out uh, and to sign up for for some of the stuff that we've got further down the road. But that is it. Uh, We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And shana to that, everyone.